Uh, all right, so if you, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're still walking through uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. What, I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what is prayer? You know, why do we, why do, we do it? That's been the, sort of the same question we've tried to answer now for uh, I don't even know how many sermons now we're, we're at. Uh, if, if you wanted maybe a, a more biblical way to, to phrase the question, it is that. You know, from Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's what we're doing. We've, we've, we know that there's all sorts of ideas about what prayer is, all sorts of books uh, about prayer. But the Bible says quite a bit about prayer. And so we want to go to God's Word and see what, what Scripture tells us about what prayer is supposed to be. And so that's what we've done so far. We've looked at what is prayer. We've looked at why it's important to pray. We've looked at the hindrances to prayer that the Bible specifically says. These things are what will keep you from praying. So even though prayer is so great, there are things that will keep you from doing it. If you remember, that's the ADD, the, the abundance, uh, the doubt, disobedience, three things the Bible specifically mentions will cause you not even, uh, not even to ask the Lord uh, of, of prayer. Uh, and then we saw that even though, even when you start praying, when the Bible starts talking about even actually doing prayer, the first thing the Bible tells us is how not to do it. So it's like there's temptations to where you're not going to want to pray. And even when you do pray, the first thing Jesus teaches us is how not uh, to pray. And so we, we walk through all of those different, you know, praying to be seen by others, praying long sort of pagan prayers. Uh, we, we looked at uh, prayers of doubt. We looked at world word prayers. Uh, we looked at prayers where of sin filled prayers. We, we looked at all of those things that the Bible says, uh, are the types of prayer you do not want to do. Uh, so if you're going to pray, make sure these aren't, um, these aren't true of you. And now, finally, by the grace of God and in his scripture, we're at the question of, so how do we actually do it? Now we're in the, so we've looked at all the negatives. We've, Jesus told us all the ways not to pray. And now here in Matthew 6, he finally starts telling us how actually to pray. And we begin with the content of biblical Godward prayer. So what is the content of our prayers? What sort of things should we be asking for? If, if prayer is asking God to do something, what sort of things should we be asking? So this is the, the what of prayer as opposed to the, the how of prayer. What sort of things should be in our prayers? Because that's where Jesus begins is just by telling us the content. And so there's no better place to start than the, the Lord's instruction. And so here we are looking at what's uh, been called the Lord's Prayer. We see that Matthew chapter 6. We see it again in Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus's own directions on how to pray. So if you're like, how should I pray? It's funny that our natural inclination is, how should I pray? Well, let me go to uh, Mardell. Let me tell you, if that's your, don't do that. Uh, let me go to Liveway. Let, cer- well, certainly don't Google it, right? Don't Google uh, how do I pray. Well, I mean, if you want to know how to pray, you could just talk to Zach and I. If you're like, I really want to know, what does the Bible teach? Like, this is the reason we're here. Uh, and so the, the, the first part of this that we looked at in the Lord's Prayer was just, who are we praying to? We looked at our Father in heaven. We saw that's, that's in itself is pretty thick. Our Father in heaven. There's a lot just in that. But now it's time to move into the actual prayer. And by that, I mean into the actual asking of God. What sort of things are we going to be asking the Lord? And so let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. Uh, and let's, let's look at this prayer 
as we continue what we're calling our memorization by repetition, uh, you've heard this prayer so much, you don't even have to be trying to memorize it. Uh, you've probably already are, are just getting it uh, hammered into your head, which if you're anything like me is normally hammering different versions of different translations and, and, uh, and trying to, to nail down one. Uh, but beginning in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus talking. Uh, he says here, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, and we've seen what all that means. We've spent weeks looking at what that means and why you would tell us to call you that. And so I pray, Father, that both the the confidence and the reverence that those words should work in our hearts, I pray, Father, that that is also the confidence and the reverence that we take to to understanding your word today. That we are confident because you promise you're going to teach us through this word. We don't come here today hoping that our Father will teach us. We don't come here today wondering if I'm going to get anything. Uh, Father, you promise that your word will never return void. And so every time we gather together to hear from your word, you promise to grow us through. You promise to grow us through it. And Father, may we have reverence as well, because this is the word of our God. This is your word. I mean, it could be lightnings and fire and hailstones. And that would be no, no more magnificent or no more amazing than what we have here. It would be no more astounding, no more due of reverence and fear if you were to open this roof and cast lightning bolts upon us. Then we should revere this. You have spoken to us. And so, Father, may we revere your word as we revere you, our Father in heaven. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So as we, I mean, now, 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 right? Now we're into the, the content. We looked at, now we're going to get sort of what we're supposed to be asking our Heavenly Father. Uh, and I think there are two interesting things uh, about these prayers, about these things that we're going to be uh, asking God. And the, and the first thing, again, is, is, is what is worth noting, uh, that every one of the things after our Father in Heaven uh, is an ask, Every one of them, uh, after our Father in Heaven, every one of those items is a request that we're asking from God. Now they're all they're all imperatives, right? Which means if you're if you go to our, our former English teacher, you can ask her what an imperative is. Uh, if you remember from your English class, we often said those are commands, right? Imperatives are commands, but we're obviously not in this passage. We're obviously not commanding God to do these things, right? We're not like, hey, God. Hallow your name, right? You better hallow it. Uh, you, your kingdom better come. You know, it's not that sort of command. It is an asking of these things. It's asking him sort of a please do this. This is a, a request that I have. So what's interesting is the entirety of the Lord's Prayer is asking God to do this and do this and, and do this. You know, Father, and then just this, or technically it would be Father do this, 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 
this and this. Uh, if, you're, if, you, if we're talking about all the things we're going to ask God to do. Uh, so what are the seven things? So just look at the seven things, just sort of a bird's eye view. Let's look at the seven things that we're going to ask God to do just in this short Lord's Prayer. It's going to take it's going to take us 10 seconds and seven asks of God. Seven things we're going to ask God to do in, in 10 seconds. Uh, we're going to ask that his name be hallowed, right? We ask that his kingdom would come. We ask that his will would be done. Uh, we ask for our bread to be given to us. We ask our debts to be forgiven. We ask not to be led into temptation. And we ask to be delivered from evil. So it's good to remember the Lord's Prayer again, and this goes back to the, the, the idea that prayer is asking God. The Lord's Prayer is one big long list of asks, things you're asking God to do for you. Uh, the second thing we're going to see about the Lord's Prayer is the Lord's Prayer is always answered. The Lord's Prayer, because, because all, of, all of these things that we're asking God have already been answered in the, in the positive. There, these are all prayers that the Lord has done and will do. The Lord's Prayer is 100% effective because these are things he's, he's already promised to do these things and not just to do them, he's already done them. We're going to see in, in Christ and in the life of his children. So what is the first thing that Jesus teaches us to ask? The first thing that Jesus teaches us to ask the Father or, or at least what is, uh, what is his first example of things to ask? He says, hallowed be your name hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I want you to notice again, this is, if you look at the first three requests, the first three requests are all centered on God and not us. They're they're about him. So if you look at the first three requests, it is your name, your kingdom, your will. It's only after these that the requests start to shift to us. It's only after these, give us this, forgive us, lead us, you know, deliver us. But there's something not just in, in, in the name, but in the requests themselves. Our, our concern is for his kingdom. Our concern, our chief concern should be for his name, his kingdom, his will. There's a temptation when it comes to prayer for us to be drawn to pray, not because of God, but because of ourselves. To, to, that we're motivated to pray more when our name is in trouble than when God's name is. We're more fired up for our name to be defended than we are God's name. There's a, there's a temptation to be moved to pray because our kingdom is in danger rather than his. Because we want a larger kingdom, not because we want God's kingdom to be larger. You know, we, very rarely do we say, God, I'd like for your kingdom to have a nicer house because we just really have trouble fitting in this one. <laughs> very rarely are we moved to worry about his kingdom, his, even his will. Very rarely are we moved to pray because our chief desire is for God to work his will for our life rather than ours. I mean, we'll, we'll pray when we feel like, man, I really want my life to be like this. God, can you help it be like that? Instead of, God, I want your will to be done. That's my chief desire. What is your will for me? And that's what's driving me to pray. But that's not the case in the Lord's Prayer. The whole of these first three requests, they all center on him. It's where we're worried about his name, not ours. We're worried about his kingdom, not ours. We're worried about his will, not ours. 
So when it comes to prayer, our, our first concern should be on God, not ourselves. And that's maybe the first thing we can learn about the content of our prayers. We begin with a focus on God, not ourself. Begin with a focus on God, not yourself. That, that, so when it comes to why am I praying, why am I even here? Why am I lifting up prayers? If you, if you're, and realize this is what, if what's driving you to pray is you, then if you're, if you're just doing the, your, you know, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. So you can get the God stuff out of the way and talk about why you're really here, right? My bread's in trouble, right? Maybe my forgiveness, maybe, or maybe it might be your kingdom is in trouble. It might be your will that's being, we need to make sure that the thing that drives us to pray is more about God than it is about us. If you only think about praying, when things are, are going bad for you, that's an insight into what's important to you and what's not. We should begin our prayers with a focus on God. And again, I'm not talking about begin our prayers with, 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 with praising God. I'm not talking about begin your prayers with, with adoring God. I'm talking about where your will, your greatest desire, what you want, the things you're asking for. It's not just you. It's, this is one of the things about, you know, different types of prayer where you sort of butter God up and then you get into the asking. The things you're asking for should be things that praise him even in your asking. I'm worried about your name, God. But, and you're not just saying that because you're supposed to say that. You're saying that because that's really your concern. I'm worried. I want your kingdom to come. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm desiring. I'm spending more time looking at that than I am my 401k or my bank account. Or, you know, that's what, that's what I want to see grow. I'm worried about your will. I want your will to be done, not just in my life. I want your will to be done on earth and to the same degree that it's done in heaven. That's what I want. And then give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. But you genuinely desire those first three things. You're not just getting, Jesus isn't just saying, get these these three things out of the way and then start asking about what you're really here for. Jesus teaching us these three things should be the chief reasons that you're on your knees praying. Should be the chief things that drive us to prayer. And if we're driven to prayer more about trouble in our life than we are concerns for him and his kingdom and our love for it. That right there is a sign that there's a problem in our heart. There's a problem in our desires that prayer is just is just letting us uh, see. And so Another important thing is this first three teach us uh, our chief desire for the world. These are, these are what our chief desires should be. So uh, begin with a focus uh, on God, not yourself. And then this teaches us what your chief desire is in the world. What should we want for the world around us? What should, what should our desires be? Our big goals as, as Christians should be to desire God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. That's what we should be worried about. That should be our chief worry, our chief desire. And so just just even looking at these first three things, I think Jesus is teaching us about where our hearts, wants, and desires should be. The primary focus of our lives should be on God and not on us. Doesn't mean it can't be on you, right? He doesn't end with your will be done, and we're all sitting there going, I wish I could ask for bread, you know? I wish I could ask for forgiveness, but it's got the word us in it. And not just him. I mean, your father does tell you to ask for your daily bread. You are commanded 
to ask. I mean, he does tell you, ask for forgiveness. He does tell you to ask not to be led into temptation. He does tell you to ask to be delivered from evil. It's not wrong to pray these things for yourself. It's not wrong to worry about yourself in prayer. It's not wrong to go to your father and ask him for a fish and know he's not going to give you a serpent. That's not wrong. In fact, the the Bible, like we said, when we were talking about how people are afraid to say that prayer is asking because it feels bad to say, you know, prayer is just asking God to do something. Surely it's got to be more than that because it just seems rude to just ask God. And the Bible warns us that more of your problem is going to be you don't, you don't ask God enough. It would be more of a problem is for us not to ask many times for our daily bread, not to ask for these things as we should. But our chief desire in this is for him. Our chief desire is his name, his kingdom, his will. So just, just look at what in the last month, uh, the last few, the last year, look, in, look at your life. What has driven you to pray more? Has it been things about you or are you ever driven to to pray because your desire and your thoughts are on him and his name and his kingdom? So when you see sin in the world, your first fear isn't even protect me, protect my family, let us homeschool and let us do this and let us do that. And I'm afraid it's going to like, or is your first concern, God, these people aren't hallowing your name. And that's what's driving me to pray. Now, I also want you to do these other things. And I'm going to ask you to do these things. I'm going to ask and pray that we'd have the freedoms to do this and the freedoms to do that. And that you would protect my kids from this and from that. But, but it's what drove you to prayer, his name. It's what drives you to prayer when you see, like, let's say you see the Taliban and their godless, immoral, demonic, uh, Islamic religion taking over a country and threatening to kill Christians. Is your first thought, God, your kingdom come and show them that the gates of hell itself will not prevail against you. Is that your concern when you see stuff like that? Or do you start thinking things like, well, you know, now China's going to get a hold in Afghanistan and then Russia and China are going to team up and then maybe they'll invade America and we're all going to be. I mean, you can pray for those things and worry about those things, but, but is your first concern for his kingdom? For his will? Is that what's driving you to pray? Okay, so that's, that's all intro, right? Now we can get into the actual hallowed be your name part. Uh, and so what is this first concern? So first, let's look at these. If, if our three concerns are supposed to be about God, if that's supposed to be our primary desires, what are we asking for? What is the first thing? So he says, all right, name, kingdom, will. But what does he begin with? He begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right, that's the most important thing, and you're going, first one, and I have no idea what that means. Right? You're going, all right, here Jesus is going to give us, this is what you should pray for, and it's hallowed be your name. And you're like, I don't use the word hallow on a daily basis. I'm not really sure it sounds like it's supposed to be a good thing. Uh, but now, and, and the truth is, of all the requests in the Lord's Prayer, this is when you're reading it, probably the most confusing. Just because it's a word we don't use. We don't use the word hallowed. I mean, the closest thing we ever use it is Halloween. And you're you're like, I don't know how this Halloween your name. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to associate this with that. I mean, that's really the only word anywhere near hallowed that we tend to use. Uh, it's And it's funny. It's 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 you look at the ESV, you look at the King James, you look at the NASB. They all use this word. How even the NIV which is trying to be like a modern translation, uses the word 
hallow, which is like the least modern word you could use. So we've got our very first request here, and we don't even know what we're asking for. You know, we don't know, I don't know what this means. So when we're looking at what does it mean to hallow, hallowed be your name? What are we asking God to do when we read this? If this is what we're asking, we're supposed to ask God, hallowed be your name. God, hallow your name. What is it that we're asking? Well, actually, the idea of hallowing his name is m- much more simple than it sounds. Uh, we, we may feel like we never use the word hallowed, but it actually comes from a very common Bible word, the word holy. It's just a version, uh, another English version of the word holy. So uh, now, now the problem is if you look up the word hallow in your Bible, you're not going to find it anywhere other than here. And you're like, oh, hallowed, what could that mean? Let me look at other Bible verses and maybe they'll explain to me the word hallowed. And now you're just going to find it uh, in, in this prayer. But the truth is the word hallowed or the Greek word behind it in your Bible actually appears multiple times, multiple times. And what's funny is all of those translations, the ESV, the King James, the NASB, even the NIV, they, they, every other time it's used, they translate it differently than the one time that it's in the Lord's Prayer. Just because we're so used to that word in the Lord's Prayer that they're like, you can't touch that. Like you can't, you can't translate that differently just because people would go, they're changing the scriptures, uh, you know? Uh, and so, but actually this is the same word that you'll see translated a lot in your Bible, but not translated hallowed. You'll see it translated sanctify. Sanctify. It's the word for sanctification. And here's again why I don't like the word sanctification. Because it makes it look like we're dealing with two different words. So, so you're like, if I read this passage and he says, hallow, and I read another passage and it says, sanctify, I'm never going to assume, hey, you know, it says hallow here. And it says sanctify over here. I bet that comes from the same Greek word. You know, you're never going to do that. You're not going to go, you know what? I think I see down in its roots, a Greek connection, maybe in the actual letters that they gave to that the Lord inspired to Paul and Peter and John. And maybe, maybe this is the same word. So this is why, again, why I don't like that we do this because you're never going to see the word sanctify and think, oh, I bet that's the same word that we see in Matthew 6 when it says, hallowed be your name. So then you might think, does this mean we should translate it? sanctify your name. And I'm going to say, no. Actually, I think you should do just the opposite because I don't like the word sanctify. I don't like the word sanctification. I think it's unnecessarily confusing. So, I mean, how many sermons have you heard on what is sanctification? Uh, And people try to explain it different ways. But if we knew that the word sanctification and the word hallowed both come from that more common Bible word, holy, then we're gonna, what, what that's going to help us do is see more and more connections between verses. So sanctify and hallow both mean to make something holy. That's why I, when I see the word sanctification, I, I, I will sometimes say, even when I'm reading the Bible, I've gotten in the mental habit of switching the word sanctification to the word holification. And you go, well, that's a made up word. And I go, well, so was sanctification at one time. Uh, so I like the word holification because it reminds us this is from the word in the Bible that means holy. It is to make something holy, which is why when I'm translating this, I'd keep that holy word rather than turning it into sanctified. 
Spotify or, or anything like that because I want to I want to see as many connections between as many Bible verses as possible and and that word holy you're going to see everywhere uh, and and sanctify is just a Latin word that snuck in there probably from Clay trying to you know influence them to use more Latin. Uh, so I mean, I actually, I actually, you know, when I'm reading through I, I, the scriptures, I am moving all those sanctify words and turning them into to holify words, so I can see the connection between Bible. Listen, that's a if you want to do that, that's a fun Bible project. Uh, but now, let, so let's look at the request again with that idea, with that understanding. What is Jesus asking our Father in heaven to do? Uh, how could you translate? hallowed be your name in a way that maybe helps you better understand again not not going uh with with uh with sanctify but rather understanding this is a request what he's saying is let your name be holy let your name be made holy let your name be holified you could say holify your name you could say let your name be Holy, I like holify uh, your name or holified be your name because it keeps the the structure here. It it makes it an ask like all the others. So here's this very first request. God, we want you to make your name holy. Make your name, holify your name, God. So what does that mean? What does it mean for God to holify his name? To make his name holy. What are we asking God to do? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what does holy mean? If we're asking God to make his name holy, we have to know, well, what does it mean for something to be holy? Now, we've talked about this word several times when we went through 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So we want to spend a lot of time working out some new definition. A simple way to think of holy is that to be holy is just to be set apart. To be, to be set apart, to, to be set apart and, and it's tied to the idea of being, to being sinless. So let's look at those two ideas. To be holy is to be set apart. It's the, the word, the word holy uh, on its own is just the idea of being, of being different, of being distinct, of being not normal, not like everything else. It's to be uh, exceptional. It is to be glorious. It is so, so holy is like, this is the broken, sin marred world and you are not like that. You are holy. You can think that this in terms of when we're talking about God, but this is why God told his people, you're living in this sin-marked, broken world, and you are to be what? Holy. You're to not be like them. And that's why you're going through some of the laws in the Old Testament. You're going, how is this wrong to do? Why can't I eat shrimp? Are shrimp sinful uh, in some way that I don't know about? Were they like the serpents of the sea? Uh, and so the curse also fell to those marine brothers of, you know, uh, what, what does that mean? Well, what a lot of these law, you know, why can't we have two types of, cl- you know, all these things? Well, a lot of that is differentiating the people of God from the people around them. They're just outward symbols to distinguish them from the acts of the pagans and from how the pagans live, the people around them live so that when you saw an Israelite, you saw you could you could say that person is different and so the idea of being holy so god says you you're to be holy you're to be set apart you're to be different so that's the idea behind holy it is to to recognize that there's no one like god he is exceptional he is glorious and i think the best place to see this is isaiah chapter 6 
I mean, so if we're looking at holy, this is the good side of holy. There is nothing like this. This thing is holy. So Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they're, they're calling God. There's no one like him. God is holy, holy, holy. There's nothing like God. So they're up there proclaiming the holiness of God. There's nothing like you, God. There's nothing. And, and again, how is his glory chiefly seen here? Or how is his holiness chiefly seen in his glory? Right, the holy, 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 the whole earth. There's so nothing. You are so what? You're so holy. And that means you're glorious. In fact, your glory, the whole earth is full. This broken market is full of your glory. That's how glorious you are. So holiness carries the idea of being set apart. There's nothing like God. So when we ask for God's name to be how there's nothing, that idea of holy is nothing like this thing. There's nothing like it. So that's the, the good side of holy. But, but be, something being holy isn't just what it's set apart sort of to, right? But also what it's set apart from. And so over and over when talking about holiness in the Bible, it's showing that something is set apart specifically from sin. And so it is to be, uh, it is, to be holy is to be set apart. It is to be set, set apart from sin uh, sort of, so, so his holiness and how that's uh, chiefly uh, expressed is going to be in his glory. But if we, we see it's not just in his glory, but also his holiness relates to his sinlessness. And we see that in how Isaiah reacts to seeing the holiness. So go back to Isaiah 6 again. After Isaiah proclaims the, the holiness of God, after he proclaims God's glory, what does that also cause him to see? What happens next? Look at, look at verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man. So woe, why? Because I'm lost. Why am I lost? Why are bad things about to happen? He says, Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, so after seeing, or, or rather, because he has seen and is seeing God and is seeing God's holiness, what does he notice about himself? He notices his very much unholiness. Notice how he said, notice how he, he recognizes his lack of separation. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Like, like there, I am not separated from, from these. He recognized, when we see God's holiness, we recognize our unholiness. That's chiefly the presence of sin. So when we see our unholiness, we're not just saying like, he's the creator and I'm obviously not a creator. It's a recognition that he is perfect and I am not. And so that's why he says, look, I'm about to die. But why does he think he's about to die? He doesn't think he's about to die just because the angels got loud and things started shaking. He doesn't go, I think this place is going to fall down. I'm not sure this is well built. 
What does he say? He thinks, I'm about to die. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen God. Have seen who? The, the, the king, the Lord. They've seen this holy, holy, holy God. Which is why, again, now, so what is he pointing at? He's not, when, he says, when he says, I'm unclean, what does he recognize? He's recognizing his sin. He's recognizing, he's not just looking around and going, I didn't change my robes today before I came here. He's recognizing his sin. That's, that's why, what is the next thing that happens in this passage? What do the seraphim do right after this? Do you remember? The seraphim fly to the altar, they get a burning coal, and they touch it to his lips. Why? It, to take away his guilt and to atone for his sin. We could go to other places too, but here we see it. I, I love Isaiah 6 because we see it in one spot. That to be holy is to be set apart. It is to be different. There's nothing like you. You are glorious, but it is specifically to be set apart. Ultimately or chiefly, how are you set apart? Not just in terms of proximity, not just in terms of how you dress, not just in terms of how you act. You're different, but set apart from sin. You are whole, you are perfect and sinless. So that's what we're asking God to do, for God's name to be seen as holy, for God's name to be holy. Now, one thing we know is that God's name is already holy. So we're not asking for this to happen that, that, that hasn't already happened. So, for example, uh, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says this, for thus says, so, so we know God's name is already holy. So, so we're not asking God to change his character. So Isaiah 15 uh, or 57, 15 says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is what? Holy. So we're not, this is why I say these prayers have been answered and will be answered. I mean, it's not like we're like, God, make your name holy. His name is already, his very name is holy. His very nature, the nature of God is holiness. He is set apart. He is different. He is glorious. So it's not like we're, so when we're praying this, we're not going to God and saying, God, start taking your name seriously. God, we need you to be holy and set apart. So if we're not asking God to start changing how he treats his name, what are we asking? We are asking that God would make his holiness known that he would make his name be seen and recognized as holy. In other words, we're asking that God would change hearts and minds so that the people would treat him as he is. That the people of this world would recognize God is holy. Because he already is, right? And we're not making God holy. His name is holy. Isaiah tells us that. The same Isaiah tells us his very name is holy. Holy. So what we're asking for is that God would cause this fallen world to, to start treating his name like that. This is what John Gill says. He says, by holy, by holy, by, sorry, I did it, by sanctifying his name, uh, is not meant a making him holy, but rather acknowledging and declaring him to be holy and a glorifying him in all his perfections. So when we, when we say, Father, holify your name, let your name be whole, be made holy, that's what we're asking God to do. Let your name be, be seen as this. 
We're asking that God would make his holiness known. But it's known how? That his name would be hallowed. What does it mean that we want his name to be hallowed? Hallowed be your name. Does this mean we just don't want people to go around and use the word God? Does this mean we want films to not use his name in vain? Does this mean we don't want to be standing at 7-Eleven and hear someone, you know, use the Lord's name uh, in, in vain, you know, on the street or just wherever? Well, it certainly means those things. We certainly want those things. But God's name isn't just about how we use the word, but rather his name is how he is viewed. Someone's name is essentially shorthand for how someone is thought of or how they are treated And so when we say, God, we want your name to be out, we mean, God, we want you. We want you to be treated this way. We want you to be treated as holy. It's not just what we want his name to be treated that way. We want him to be. And we still use someone's name that, right? Right? So you remember, I don't know if people still say it, but when we say that person's name is mud, right? Their name is, you can't even use that name. You know, that name, woo, that's, and there's still names of people, you know, if someone were to come up and say, hi, my name is, you know, John McVeigh, right? We'd all be like, well, is it McVeigh, huh? All right, well, it's, especially from Oklahoma, right? We'd, we'd, we'd be paused by that name. Uh, and so the idea, we still kind of use it that way. Someone is known uh, by, their, by their name. So what we're saying is we want God to be seen as holy. We want, so when we say, hallowed be your name, we want God to be treated as holy. Not just that we want God's name to be holy, we want God to be treated as holy. But what that, what's that going to look like? What's it going to look like for the world to treat God as holy? What's it going to look like if God does or when he does answer this? What is it going to look like when God's name is held as holy? When he is holified? What does that look like? We'll turn to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. We're going to get another glimpse, a second glimpse into the throne room of God. Beginning in verse 8, Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. It says, and the four living creatures, each of them. Sorry, I was reading ahead. Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created so here we see a few things tied around the idea of 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 holifying that's going to add so in in Isaiah 6 we saw that that to holify someone's name was tied to the idea of glory right holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory God you are holy that means you are glorious so when God's name is is holified there will be a glory attached to who God is 
He will be seen as glorious. But here we go back to the throne room of God and we see a few other things attached also to glory. It it, it says they never stop saying holy, holy, holy. But then look at verse 9. How does, how is that described in verse nine? So they say, holy, holy, holy. And then verse nine says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks. In other words, their saying of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That is a giving of glory and honor and thanks to God. You go down to verse 11. And we see that they add, so verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor. So there's that repetition. So you're meant to go, okay, I'm drawn back. to So the angels are given glory and honor and thanks. Now you've got the 24 elders falling down. Worthy are you. That's the holiness. There's no one like you who's able to receive glory and honor and power. So when we holify the name of God, what are we doing? What are the, so we're, we're wanting, because holy seems so ambiguous, right? God, we want your name to be holy. Well, what is that going to look like if you wanted some good biblical definitions of what it looks like to holify something? You're going to see here when God's name is holified, we'll be saying there is no one worth the glory, the honor, the thanks, and the power of God. It's to say God is unlike any of us. It is to recognize as they did, that, that as creatures, we, we recognize he is the creator. We are the creatures. We're casting our crowns before him. You created all things. They exist because of you. They were created because of you. There's no one like you. So to holify the name of God is to set apart God to give God glory, honor, thanks, and power. God, you deserve all glory. God, you deserve all honor. God, you deserve all thanks. God, you deserve all power. So when we say, holified be your name, we're asking God to cause his name to be seen as holy. We're asking God to to cause his name, who he is, to be seen as glorious. We're asking God for him to be honored. We're asking that he would be thanked by his creatures. We're asking that he would be given all power instead of us measly, weak creatures grasping after a power we can never have. A power that even when the kings of this earth rally together to steal even an ounce of that power, he who sits on the throne laughs. We want his name to be seen as that. No more grasping of power. That's why in the end, what happens The nations come flocking to him and they cast their glorious things to him because the nations finally realize what we've been praying for. God is hallowed and that means he deserves all power, all glory, all honor, all thanks. That's the chief desire of this prayer for God to exalt his name to make his name praised to bring himself glory God fill this earth with your glory now again we say these prayers not only 
will be answered, but have been answered by God and, well, and, and that he will do and has been doing these things. This is no different. In fact, God has been working to hallow his name since the beginning and called his people to hallow his name since the beginning. And we're going to see that next week. We're going to see all of the verses from the very beginning of creation where God has said that hallowing his name is what he is here to do and hallowing his name is why he saved you. And you're going to see that the very reason you're not just here on earth, but the very reason you're a Christian is so that you might work to hallow his name. But that's next week. So you're just going to have to be stuck with, you know, Isaiah 6, uh, Revelation 4. I mean, so... So this week, this is, these are our questions to think about this week. This is the sort of application for this week that I, that I want us to have when we, when we start going, uh, Father, we want your name to be holified. We want you to be seen as holy. Let, let your name be holified or holified be your name. The, the first thing we're going to see deals with what we looked at the very beginning. Just in terms of prayer and what you're asking for God, Again, the, 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 the chief problem isn't asking God. The chief problem is what we're asking him for and why we're asking him. So the first question I'd have us answer is, are your far, first thoughts in prayer, are they about yourself or are they about God? And I don't even mean the first things that you pray for, because can be, we can easily, we can become Pharisees and get out of this problem, right? And just make sure that the first things we pray for are about God, right? We can go, well, I mean, I... I mean, I know I'm supposed to ask for God things first, so I'll do that. And then I'll get to the real reasons that I'm here, which are I'm afraid that I'm not going to have my daily bread. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, uh, that I'm not going to be delivered from this evil. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about heart is your chief desire. What are your first desires? And what do you, when you're thinking about God, if you could answer any prayer of mine, what's the first prayer you would want answered? And is, would it be something about him or would it be something about you? If God could answer any prayer, would, would you be even, you know, fourth on the list, right? This fourth on the list we get to give us, give us this day our daily bread. Would the first three things be about God and his name and his kingdom and his will? And when you're done doing that, give me some bread. Just let me not die, right? A simple prayer. Let me not die. Let me be forgiven. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. But I mean, when you're looking at the grandiose nature of these other prayers, your name be holified. Your kingdom Come, your will be done everywhere. I mean, those are grand prayers. And then the rest is just asking your father to give you bread and not a stone, to give you fish and not a serpent. But when it comes to your chief desires for what you want to see in this world, is that where your concerns are? God, his name, his kingdom, his will, or is what drives you to pray you and you and you? Now, you know, when you get there, you're supposed to mention the God stuff. But the truth is you're not on your knees because you're worried about him. You're on your knees because something happened in your life and now you're concerned. Something's happening with your name or your kingdom or what you want for your family or for your kids or for your life. And now you're concerned. What is your chief desire in prayer? Again, it's not that we shouldn't be concerned about those other things. But it's that our chief concern should be for God. Is that the chief concern in your prayer life? So that's the first question that, that, that Jesus is teaching us here. 
Uh, the second is this. Are you holifying the name of God in your life? Right? So this is a big, we're asking God to holify his name everywhere. Right? On earth as it is in heaven requests. That's what we want. So we can't say, though, that we want his name to be holified out there in this world. We can't look at the world around us and go, man, I tell you what, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, we can't say that. One, I'd say, no, it's not. Uh, we can't say that uh, just by our concerns there. Say, man, I, I can't believe everything out there is not holifying God's name. If we're not holifying his name in our lives, where we live, in our homes, in places where his kingdom has come, right? You are in his kingdom. You are living in a home where he has planted uh, a, a seed of his kingdom that is sprouting and growing. And here you are in that and going, and you're not holifying his name. You're not living as if he is the most glorious thing in the world. You're not giving honor to him, thanks to him, power to him. Instead, you're clutching for those things. Are you seeing in your own life, are you seeing God as unlike anything else in this world? That he comp- nothing else in this world compares to him. If you do, then you know what you won't be doing. You won't be choosing sin over him. If, if God is unlike anything else in this world, you know what that'll help you do? That'll help you not say what you shouldn't say. It'll help close. You know, you want to take every thought captive. If you're like, how do I take my thoughts captive? Fix your eyes on the glory of God. And, and that will help captivate your thoughts. That will help holify your thoughts because his name is holy. You as his child want to keep his name high and lift it up. Are you setting him apart from all other motivations or desires or people? Are you seeing him greater than everything else in this world? Are you giving God the glory he deserves? If people, if people look at your life, will they look at your life and how you live and go, man, their God is glorious. Or at least be able to say they think their God is glorious. Right? They might go, they think God's glorious. I don't think that, right? I'm still, I'm still in rebellion against him. But if they looked at your life, would they see someone who is enamored by the glory of God? Would they see someone whose whole life has been oriented around this God who is unlike anything else in this world? Will they see it in either how you talk or about the type of life that you live, a life that is different, right? They are set apart. They look so different, in how they act, not just in how they, you know, the clothes they wear, right? This is not just, you know, they've got these flacteries on the end of their robe. I mean, this is, this is, this is about, you know, your life is, is just looking different. Is your life. So we looked at the things of, of what it means to holify someone. Is your life one where God is glorified? So if, to holify something is to give it glory, honor, thanks, power. If that's what to holify something is, if, if that's what the Bible mentions is going on when, when people are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Is your life one where God is glorified? How much glory does God get in everything in your life? How, how much glory does he get in how you work? How much glory is seen in the type of husband you are? What type of glory are you giving to? Because again, if, 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 you're the, if he's the bridegroom uh, and you're operating as a bridegroom, how much glory are you giving God in how you treat your wife? How much glory are you giving God in how you parent your children? You, the father? 
are a mirror of the Father. How much glory is God getting? And, and, and you're saying, God, you're a glorious Father, and I want to make sure as I parent my children that one of the reasons I parent them rightly is because I want your name to be glorified. I want Father to be lifted up because when a Father is lifted up, the Father is lifted up. Are you honoring God in your life? Is your life one filled with thanks to Him? Is, is, is he the one who wields the power in your life? Or are you grasping after power to be able to control what you can control in your life, but you give him like little bits, right? God, you can control my Sunday mornings. But the rest of my life, I'm kind of going to decide what I want to do, when I want to do it with my life, with my, with my money, with my kids, with my whatever. But then, I, but I promise you, you're going to get a solid two hours on Sunday. I mean, is that the type of power that he, or does he wield all power? All power, because he's the creator, and you're just a creature. So, I mean, we don't even have crowns. These 24 elders have crowns, and they're casting crowns. We don't even have crowns. And we're grasping after the power. We're grasping after things. We're wanting to control our lives. Look, that is not to holify the name of God. If God is holy, then he wields all power in your life. Every decision you make goes back to him. And not to you. It goes back to what he wants and not what you want. And you will shake the very foundations of your home. You will tear it down to the core if you've done anything because you want to rather than because he wants you to. That's what it is to give God all power to holify the name of God in your life. Glory, honor, thanks, power all to him. So these are all the ways you can holify that you can holify the name of God. You want God to be holified, then treat him. You want God to be holified in this world? Then treat him as holy in your home. Treat him as holy in your heart. Let's pray. Just with our heads bowed, just take a moment to pray. Go to your father who is in heaven and to ask that his name would be holified, even if you know that that action is going to begin in your own heart and in your own home today. The, the good thing is we say this prayer is always answered. And, and what's funny is as you're praying this, if you really want this, this is God answering that prayer. Because if you're recognizing God, you haven't been holified in this way. I haven't treated you as holy in this area and that area. And God, I went, well, guess what he's doing? He's the one that showed you those things. He's the one that showed you those deficiencies. He's the one who caused your heart to cry out for change. He's the one that's causing you to repent and turn from where you were going and say, God, I want your name to be holified in this area, in my marriage, in my home, with my kid, whatever it is. He's the one answering the, your father. And, and I would tell you, do not trivialize that. Be amazed by that. Be astounded that the God of the universe isn't just your father. He lives as your father. He operates as your father, meaning he teaches you these things. He disciplines you from the wrong and drives you to the right. And today, uh, let him drive you to holify his name in every area of your life so that we can then genuinely pray for that to be true of this whole earth so that we're not hypocrites saying we want everyone else to be holy when we're willfully not being holy, when we know the areas that we're not glorifying him, when we know the areas we're not giving him honor, when we know the areas we're not thanking him, when we know where we're not yielding power over to him, where we're grasping for it. 
we want God's name to be holified everywhere, then let it begin here. Let it begin with us. Father, we come to you today and, and God, we do. We do want to lift you up as holy in our lives. We want to, we want to proclaim with the seraphim, with those in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, who, who was and who is and who is to come. We want to we we join with them, not just when we get there, but we want to join with them now and how we live. We want our lips and our lives to say these things, Father. So please help us to do that. We want, we want to set you apart as holy. We do want you to be holified in this world. And so begin that in our lives. Let us, let us spend more time worrying about the holiness that happens in our home rather than decrying the, whole, the lack of holiness that we see on the news. And Father, if we can be more stirred up by all the holy, lack of holiness out there, but not, but not moved by the lack of holiness in our homes, Father. There's something wrong. So God, let us see, open our eyes so that we might see these things. Because we genuinely want you to be made holy. We want you to be seen as holy. We want your name to be lifted up and glorified. So Father, help us to glorify you by giving you all the honor, thanks, praise, power, all of that. Father, help us to glorify you. And Father, we ask these things because of Christ. We know, Father, that we would never have seen your name as holy if you had not come and circumcised our hearts. And there would be no hope for our hearts to be circumcised if you hadn't sent your son to die for us. If you hadn't sent for him to have our sins where they can be forgiven, where eyes can be opened to see these things and to live for you. So, Father, it is in the name of Christ that we pray, and it is in the name of Christ that we have assurance that these things will happen because you promise that you will do these things in your children. It's what we're here for. So work them in us, Father. We have confidence that you will do that, and we wait with reverence. And, Father, may may we operate out of that reverence as well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.